Hello. 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 Welcome, everybody. It's a different hello for everybody. Um, you know, but you're all welcome. You're very, very welcome to uh, Season 4, Episode 7 of Cop On Podcast. Uh, I bid you a very, very warm welcome. Uh, and I'm going to start with a little insert uh, from our friend Fergal, who is an international man of mystery, uh, but he actually found himself at the Annie Road end last night. So before we do anything else, I'm just going to play you uh, what he sent me of his thoughts of the game yesterday. So here they are. Hi, this is Fergal for a Cup On podcast. I was at the match today, Liverpool won, Chelsea won. Uh, the first half was fairly even. Chelsea went, got the goal to go ahead. It looked like Rhys James handled it on the line. There were two shots off the line by Liverpool. And to me, it looked like a correct decision for handball and sending Rhys James off. Second half, it looked like a draw the whole time. I never thought expected Liverpool to win. Um, our best players were Harvey Elliott. Virgil van Dijk and Joel Massif were very comfortable at the back. And Salah was always dangerous on the right. For Chelsea, their best players were Alonso, who was always a danger on the left, and Mendy, the goalkeeper, who saved them a few times. But we didn't play very well. We never really looked like scoring in the second half. A few long-distance efforts. Andy Robertson was way off the pace down the left. So that took out our whole left side, including Mane. Mane didn't get quality service. So I was shouting out for Simicus to come on much earlier in the second half. It was clear Robertson wasn't playing well. Um, so all in all, honours even. Liverpool on seven points, same as Chelsea after three games. And... Shout out to Harvey Elliott, always dangerous, always looking for the ball on the left. He was our best player. And Chelsea dangerous on the break. And um, was quite impressed by them, how they defended with 10 men. They wanted a draw. Liverpool settled for a draw as well. And 1-1. That's it. We fight, live to fight another day. So thank you very much, Fergal. It's absolutely brilliant. And if anyone in the future, by the way, if you ever want to send your thoughts um, on on a particular match, you can you can do that. Coponpodcast at gmail dot com, um, and I'd be happy to include them on future episodes. Really, really nice to hear Fergal's views there. So he was talking about you know down the left hand side. He wasn't particularly happy with uh, with Robbo and and Mane. We'll we'll talk about that. But I want to you know. I learned something today, which and it's nice to learn things. And I learned about a thing called constructal law, which is uh, by a scientist called Adrian Bayan, who's um, a Romanian-American um, scientist, uh, did a lot with thermodynamics. And he, he sort of, I don't know, I'll read you what I've read on Wikipedia today and see what you think and then I will make a tenuous link between that and Liverpool. So where 
The law is something like this. Where electronic components are too small for convective cooling, they must be designed for efficient conduction, thus making them a sort of link instead of something that, that breaks a circuit. Um, so the paper that he published pr provides a method for efficiently designing conductive paths from smaller paths leading to larger ones. The similarity of this solution to the branching structures seen in multiple inanimate and living things led to his statement of what he calls a new law of nature. And his statement is like this. Oh, by the way, by the, for the branching structures, think about lightning, the pattern of lightning, how it's, it has that branching effect. Um, and branches themselves and trees. But anyway, his law, his statement goes like this. For a finite size system to persist in time, i.e. to live, it must evolve in such a way that it provides easier access to the imposed or global currents that flow through it. To emphasise the coming together of pathways, he called the theory constructal, from the Latin to construct, in contrast with approaches using fractal geometry, which is from the Latin to break. And I'm with Brian. I'm delighted to be with Brian, uh, who's joining us in, in Hong Kong. And I was thinking about, you know, the, the way that, you know, branches move and grow and, and, and you can see the, the same pattern on, on lightning and each part of the tree becomes a sort of conduit for all of the, you know, for want of a better word, energy that I don't know what it is exactly, but flowing through the tree itself. Brian, I thought Liverpool's energy when we were trying to break down the 10 men of Chelsea yesterday was way more fractal than it was constructal. Um, and I told you it would be tenuous. But what did you think of uh, what were our problems yesterday in breaking it down? That's the best segue I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> Random applause. <laughs> Sensational stuff. Good job, Owen. That's, that's why I turn up for it. <laughs> um, I understand what you're saying, actually, amazingly. I was petrified whilst you were talking. I was thinking, I'm going to have to make sense of this in a second. This is going to be messy. <laughs> um, but I, I get what you're kind of alluding to. Um, there was a general, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as saying malaise, but uh, <clears throat> I think we have to, I think we have to give credit where credit's due. Uh, Chelsea, uh, are a very, very good team, um, managed by a very good manager. And um, they made adjustments in the second half to going down to 10 men. And, and I think as Klopp alluded to, they had basically, I don't know, seven defenders out there on the pitch who are all, you know, if not world class, you know, they're, you know, they're right up there, top of the food chain. And their whole, their whole mindset was to suck the air out of the place uh suck the space out of the game and <clears throat> we're gonna have to admit and put our hands up and say unfortunately it worked you know from from my perspective i mean i don't have complaints about the game i 
uh, it is what it is, right? Uh, we we did try to break them down. We we had uh, good stats. I mean, if you look at the overall stats of the game, but we did lack energy. And then the more it went on, the just we didn't seem to be able to find that second or third wind. Um, I, I think you know I was watching it with a couple of guy friends over here, and then and one of them pointed out that this game's done, um, and that was with 15 minutes to go. Uh, he could he could just see that there was no way that the, our players were like the 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 substitutions that he made didn't didn't have the you know effect of br- bringing people up or you know an you know an injection of energy. Um, but yeah, so I, I think yeah, it was it was it was we didn't take advantage of the ten men. I don't think they. I think Chelsea, to their credit, didn't give us a chance to. Yeah, you're right. I mean. Credit where credit's due. I think they d- defended, you know, doggedly. They put the, you know, they put the dog in dogged defending. Um, but, you know, overall, we had 24 shots, okay? Seven of them only on target. They had six shots and three on target. But even before the red card, we were dominating them. The XG, according to Understat, is 2.08 XG for us and 0.57 when you look at Chelsea's goal, I think it was very lucky. It was, I mean, it was, it was a brilliant header. Uh, I thought Robertson could have could have done a lot better because you know Havertz just had a free header. Robertson was the closest man, and you're always going to look at the closest man um, in that sort of situation because Robert didn't. He was quite a way off, um, but. You know, Allison as well. I mean, he was he was pretty well positioned. It just you know it just looped over him with the the exact velocity and sort of angle to beat him. You know, like the only one that would have beaten him in that situation. So you can't blame the keeper. Um, I just thought they were they were a bit lucky. You know, their goalkeeper was very good. Mendy uh, was uh, superb. Um, and but I've seen lots of Liverpool fans. You know, on Twitter, for example. You know, saying, you know, it was two dropped points and things like that. There's another way of looking at it, Brian. And that is, you know, we, we, we dropped three points against Burnley at home last season. Now, we turned that around. We got three points from that. And we lost to Chelsea at home last season. And we got one point from that. So we're four points better off already than last season. And But the main positive thing for me, though, Brian, is, is that... We looked by far the better team, I think, throughout that match. Yes, they had chances. Yes, their game plan is to, you know, be passive and things like that. But I I just thought that they've spent, you know, 365 million euros since we won the league. Um, and they still look worse than us, even the fact that they're European champions. Um... And that's the main positive. And I just think there are tons of positives. And, and Jordan Henderson came out and James Milner came out and they said, you know, loads of positives from the match. And I'm inclined to agree with them, Brian, because I see lots of fans complaining about two points dropped. And I just wonder how disappointed are you in, in that result, really? Um, <clears throat> I'm not disappointed at all, actually. I'm quite the pragmatist when it comes to these things. You know, I, I don't think you win the title in games like this. You win the title by beating everybody else. Uh, it's usually, you know, uh, you're going to drop points to your title rivals. It happens. It's one of those things you just got to give. You got to recognize that they're a good side. 
Uh, and you're right, they're not, they're not as, they spend all that money and they're not as good as us still. I mean, uh, Virgil had Lukaku in his back pocket, you know, which is easier said than done, you know. Um, and in a weird kind of way, they got very, very lucky because actually, bizarrely, getting to sending, um, getting uh, put down to 10 men suited them a lot more than having 11 men because then they would have to come and come at us and, uh, and with uh, us attacking the cup in the second half, uh, I think we would have gone ahead and won that game um, if it was 11 v 11. But because it was 11 v 10, then Tuchel had the perfect excuse to just sit behind the ball and not attack. And then, as you know, I always defer to Klopp. Klopp normally normally talks the most sense. You know, when everybody's banging on about two points dropped, these are like just armchair football managers you know stick to playing on a on the xbox i say you know it's it's uh it was hard it's very hard to break down chelsea when they don't want to go and attack you know um and um yeah i just i was kind of i wouldn't say philosophical about it because i just just there wasn't an awful lot that i could point out and go yeah that wasn't good enough i mean chelsea's goal it was a nice set piece that they tried to do. I mean, I'm still quite not sure if it wasn't actually he was trying to head the goal into goal or just knock it into the path of an, another one of his uh, teammates. But whichever way he hit it, it was a one in a million kind of trajectory. It, it just floated over Allison's fingertips. You know, you, you, he couldn't get to it. And, you know, fair enough. That happens. And then when our uh, penalty came along, I met... I mean, so far, I'm loving the Premiership. I'm loving the referees. I'm loving this whole let it flow. Uh, it's just brilliant. I think that like the referees are really, really playing a blinder at the moment. I think. And then when that happened, I remember saying, if they don't, I didn't. I didn't want just the penalty. I wanted him sent off. I and mean, if they don't send him off, and that's it. This is a complete <laughs> sham. And he was. And. Um, you know, great. And then, you know, at that stage, the feeling was great. You know, we just scored just before half time. They just got sent uh, sent to, to 10 men. Uh, the goalkeeper was carded. Another defender was carded. It was all looking good. I really thought we were going to come out and, and just finish them off. But yeah, look, yeah, you just have to recognize when, when somebody puts a good performance in at, at your place. And, and that's what they did. They weren't, they weren't better than us. We're obviously, I think we're better than them for sure. They are contending for the title. We, we have to take them seriously. But yeah, there's so many things to be positive about. I mean, uh, you know, Harvey Elliott continues just to amaze. He's just, just unbelievable. You know, an 18 year old kid just looks like he's totally, uh, he's been playing there at Liverpool all his life. And all our players are coming back. You know, we had to realize that a lot of our players, you know, Robbo, Hendo, even Fab, you know, they don't really have their touch down because they haven't had a, a robust uh, preseason as half the rest of the squad. But yeah, I'm I'm very very happy with that. What you know, the point Chelsea, uh, it's okay. It's not I, obviously you always want to win, but I can I can I can deal with that. Well, yeah, totally, totally. Um, before I talk about Harvey Elliott and and give you his um, frankly outrageous stats for for yesterday's game. Um, I am going to talk about that penalty incident, just to clear it up. I mean, the only possible complaint you could have with that decision is if you don't like it and you don't think it's fair. 
And I think maybe you've got a point to, you know, to have a penalty, you know, and a red card when it was accidental, more or less. I mean, maybe it, 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 it seemed like, a, you know, it happened so quickly. It seemed like, you know, it, he did it before he, he thought about what he was doing. But this is the law at the end of the day. I'm going to read it to you now. Uh, under denying a goal or an obvious goal scoring opportunity... That's the headline. And of course, this ball was going in had he not used his arm. So under denying a goal or an obvious goal scoring opportunity, the law says where a player denies the opposing team a goal or an obvious goal scoring opportunity by a handball offence, the player is sent off wherever the offence occurs. So penalty, red card. And he's sent off every time. And there's nothing subjective about that. That ball is going in. That's what the law says. Whether the law is fair or not is something that, you know, you can easily debate. Um, I think personally, maybe a penalty would have been, a, you know, a more fair result. But you cannot deny that it was a sending off. Um, yeah. One thing on that as well, because, yeah, I, I look, I get it. I get, I understand how a, fan, a Chelsea fan, for example, would feel hard done by, by that situation. You look back at it, etc. But, you know, it, it just tries to prove you that people are bloody idiots, right? Because players, football players have been being sent off for that for, for the longest time, before VAR and the rules changing and this that if you're on the line and you make any kind of movements towards the ball to stop it from going in you get sent off and that's i mean they've been doing that for years and you could argue well i mean the only thing the like i'm playing devil's advocate the only thing that that potentially could be uh, um worth thinking about is that apparently the ball came off his leg and then onto his arm and I read somewhere that perhaps in, in the new rules, they changed the new rules that sometimes that's not that's not given now. So if that's the case, then I, I think Chelsea have a case for being felt hard done by by that. But in terms of whether, it, you know, it was intentional, it, didn't, it doesn't have to be intentional. If his his hand is like it was unconsciously moving towards the ball, it just didn't look. Have you seen it? You thought that's that's a sending off for sure. And um and I'm just glad they did it, you know, and I think the referees are, you know, you have to give them some credit. They're making they're making tough decisions and they're just doing it really quickly and getting on with it. And uh, I mean, the, the next thing I need to see, I'd like to see is they really need to to like take a leaf out of rugby and just and I know they tried to put this in place a few times, but the, only the captain should be speaking to the ref. All this all these players surrounding the referee or Chelsea players who are just a bunch of. I, I don't want to say it, but <laughs> they just wind me up so much. Um, they were doing everything. They were scuffing the penalty spot. You know, their keeper, Mendy, was up in, in Salah's face. You know, they're just a classless bunch of arseholes. And, um, and the referee, I think, lost control a bit in that respect. And I, I just wish they would do something that, you know, just make a statement and just send, give them all yellow cards the next time that happens, just to say enough. Because it's happened. You're not going to change anything. It's done. Get on with it, you know? I mean, I don't know how you feel about that. Well, I like to be as gentlemanly as possible. And so that irks my gentlemanly outlook when I see the 
you know, it's just the whining, isn't it? Like little children. As you say, it's not going to change anything, is it? But uh, no, let's, let's... I mean, we, we, you know, I started with talking about constructal theory and, you know, it applies to uh, electricity. We've, we've talked about uh, this particular negative about, uh, you know, the, um, you know, the, the complaining at the penalty. I'm going to switch it around. I'm going to put it on the other pole at the positives. And you mentioned Harvey Elliott before, right? Harvey Elliott had the second most touches on our team. He had 107 touches of the ball. Uh, Trent had the most, 112 touches, and I thought Trent was magnificent. He was really, really good. 82.1% passing accuracy for Trent. Five key passes, one shot on target, and two uh, out of two shots in total. Um, Harvey Elliott also had two shots, none of them on target. There was that one in the first half that whistled past the post, I remember, and uh, the other one in the first half where it just landed on his right foot, and that was a huge chance, but unfortunately on his wrong foot. Um, but uh, bless him, he kept going, you know, one key pass, 87.2% passing accuracy, better than our captain Jordan Henderson, who had 86.1%. So 87.2% passing accuracy. He even won a header, which is nuts. And the way that he's taking 107 touches, um, you know, compared to Jordan Henderson's 89, Fabinho's 79, Virgil van Dijk's 88, and Joel Matip's 97. The way that Harvey Elliott is, is beating all of those players and, and controlling his area of the pitch at age 18. Um, I love so much about his game. But one thing I noticed yesterday that I was, I was trying to pin my pin it down is, you know, why the defenders find it so hard to get the ball off him. And he takes so many touches because he, he's actually sort of doing all of these little mini dribbles. I don't know if, if you've noticed this, Brian. Like, when he runs with the ball, he's likely to take, because the ball is under such control, it's so close to his left foot, that he's taking three or four or five little touches and he's moving the ball side to side. So the defenders can't dive in because they know how quick he is. He'll just be able to skip past them. And um, I think... That's one of his major assets, is, is the fact that the ball is really stuck to his foot. Uh, but uh, yeah, I wanted to talk more about uh, about him, Brian, because Harvey Elliott is, he looks like a real star in the making. Yeah, no, he does. And um, God, everything about him is just amazing. I mean, the fact that he's the youngest ever Premiership player, uh, I think he came out when I mean, he was 16 for Fulham. And, uh, you know, the way he speaks, um, the fact that he went down to the championship and basically owned it. It was, it was a tough league. Um, and uh, initially, I used to think he, he reminds me of Sterling when Sterling came through. But now I'm thinking he, he actually reminds me of Michael Owen when, when he came through. You know, obviously different players, but in terms of potential impact and pretend how big he he could be. And, you know, he loves the club. And... Yeah, like I said that a few times before, he re- there's certain players, when you see them play, they just feel like they're extensions of you. They feel like, wow, that guy's living the dream. He's kind of living our dream for us. And, um, you know, you're talking about all the touches he takes. Yeah, he also has that magic, uh, you know, uh, special quality where he just has brilliant football intelligence. 
um, for such a young guy. You know, you can imagine when he's like 27, he'd be like Suarez. He, he just he'd be unplayable um, because the passes that he does, he 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 sees these beautiful true ball. He, I think he tried to, he put somebody in with the outside of his foot on a true ball and then a very weighted pass, and it was just great. You know, just great. And only players like him see that pass. Um, you know, the the majority of other players don't don't see that pass and don't even try to attempt it. Um, and this is from a kid, you know, uh, who's I don't know in his third, a second full start for for the senior team um, in the league. He just looks so so composed. I mean, there was elements of that last season as well when he had a go when they when they put him in the team. He again he looked after the ball very very well, but he he has come on. He's 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 upped his game at numerous levels since then, and uh, yeah, he is not he is not a concern. If anything, he's I, I like seeing him in the team now because you just know he's going to do things with the ball. He'll look after the ball. He doesn't give it away. Uh, but when he's on the ball, anything can happen. And I think you pointed out that defenders know that. I just think he's a better footballer than the vast majority. of defenders that he will go up against and they also know it they'll he'll have them on toast if they come in too close to him so uh, i'm just you know it's one of the things along with the fans being in the stadium but i'm just really looking forward to to watching him play the whole season and watching you know play with tiago as well that'll be that's going to be amazing oh man yeah it is it really is um I want to talk about the left-hand side, though. It was a lot different on the left-hand side. Andy Robbo, as Fergal said at the beginning of this episode, he looked off the pace a bit. And perhaps, yes, in hindsight, Kloppo could have changed him a little bit earlier. Um, Fergal reckons that it was because Robbo was off his game that Manny was off his game. But I don't know. There were a couple of times... I remember like two or three times when Mane had the ball and he was one-on-one with Aspilicueta. And Aspilicueta has proved himself over the years to be, you know, one of the best right-sided defenders in, in Premier League history. I mean, he's a phenomenal defender, but he is getting on a bit. And I wonder if Sadio of a few years ago would have roasted him at least once. Um... And I'm a little bit concerned that Sadio Mane, although he has so many facets to his game, uh, such as defensively, I uh, don't know if you remember, in, in the first half, Chelsea had a very dangerous free kick and Sadio Mane actually sort of played everybody onside. And uh, Rhys James looked to, looked to be in and he was going to be in for a tap-in, but Mane just sped up and, you know, got the ball ahead ahead of Rhys James. It was a really, really good piece of defensive play in the end by Sadio. Defensively, he's brilliant. He tracks back. Um, he's he's very good with the ball. He's very smart. He makes good runs. But it's just a lack of... I don't know if it's, if it's just confidence or it's just he's lost the shade of that burst, Brian. And, and I just wonder if, if uh, maybe I'm reading too much into it and maybe he hasn't lost it at all. But there is that, you know, just that fraction that he might have lost from his game. What do you think? No, I mean, I hear you. I mean, the the, the general consensus of the guys that I was watching was also, um, yeah, they weren't happy with the left-hand side. They weren't happy with um, uh, Robbo getting the nod ahead of Costa. Um, also, Manny's name was mentioned once or twice. Um, uh 
on Mane, I disagree. I think he has he's had a fabulous uh, preseason. He's looked really hungry and really back to his his kind of terrorizing self. Um, and I think uh, I can never pronounce his name. Asalaqueta, maybe there. Maybe that's close enough. It's funny. I watched I, I watched an interview. <laughs> I watched an interview with him after the game, and I hate that guy. Hate well. I don't like to use the word hate because hate's a very strong word. I dislike him intensely. <laughs> and, um, and because I dehumanize him, I just see him on the pitch and he's just, he represents everything I don't like in a footballer. But then I heard him talk and it's like, he just seems like a normal guy. I felt kind of a little bit guilty for kind of hate, you know, hating on him so much. But as a player, a football player, he's just a horrible, horrible player to play against. You know, you, you, you definitely would happy be, ha- be happy for him to be in your team. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, there must be something to the fact that Robbo was off the pace and that would have an effect on Mane because those two are just such a powerful force uh, down that side. And, uh, I mean, Robbo's the best left back in the world. So if he's uh, if he's fit, then he has to get back in into the team straight away, you know. Um, but, you know, there's just that's not a, nothing to say, nothing against Costa because he's been amazing uh, preseason and... Uh, Covering for Robo as well, but yeah, I mean, I think hindsight's twenty twenty, isn't it? So yeah, perhaps knowing what we know now, Costa would have been a, probably a better shout for this particular particular game, and maybe Robo comes in next game. Um, but Mane, I, I I'm not worried about Mane. I just think Chelsea were very good yesterday. They're very you know very very good. They sometimes it was like when Rafa's uh, Rafa's uh, uh, Valencia team came to live, came to Anfield and uh, just basically schooled us. Sometimes you have to just take your hat off and say, fair enough. That was a pretty good performance from the other lot. And I, I just think they did that. They just basically made it very difficult for us to play football. Um, and they're very good at that, right? Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I don't want to go overboard in my praise for Chelsea. Yes, they were dogged. And, and Klopp mentioned in his post-match press conference how much he loved the intensity. And that's something that we have to mention as well. The intensity from both teams was was truly remarkable. Truly remarkable. You don't see that um, across Europe with many teams able to do that for for, for 90 minutes. But... But I just, you know, I don't want to be too effusive in my praise for Chelsea because look at the breakdown of shots through the game. So Trent had two, Joel Matip, these are shots and headers um, and they're not necessarily on target. These are just the totals shots. So Trent had two, Matip had three, Van Dijk had three, Robertson had one. Fabinho had two, Harvey had two, Jordan Henderson had two, Mohamed Salah had three, Firmino had nil, but he had 94.1% passing accuracy in his 42 minutes on the field. He was knitting things really well. Sadio Mane had three. Diogo Jota had three. But then you just look, you know, at what's what's what goes on target and what doesn't. And I just think even, you know, attacking set pieces, for example, we could have done better. Joel Matip, three attempts at goal, none on target. Virgil had three, one on target. Um, you know, it's just I just think on another day, we would have buried those chances. But it's just like the Sadio Mane thing. Yeah, you're right. I don't want to jump to any conclusions that he's lost anything uh, significant because he still managed to have three shots on target. So sorry, three shots in total, but none of them were on target. 
unfortunately. And I think maybe, you know, it's just like little things. If one deflection had gone our way, if Henderson's screamer that just went past the post had gone inside the post, then it's like, it's amazing how, how, how much the goals change the narrative. Um, but for me, I'm, I feel like in professional football, you've got to look at the performance over the result. And our performance, I thought it was sensational. And, and for all these people, like, you know, I saw someone you know, basically in tears on Twitter uh, recording some kind of video of like, I told you, I told you we need a, an extra football, an extra attacker, an extra player up front. Because, uh, you know, this is why I'm FSG out and blah, 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 blah. But it's like, you know, these people are just looking for, for you know, confirmation bias. But to these people, OK. They're all part of the Liverpool FC fraternity and they're welcome to their opinion. They really are. But they should look at the facts before saying, well, I'm right because I'm right. You know, like we, we had so many shots. Was it 26 shots? We just weren't clinical enough. Um, and on another day, we will be. Uh, any performance like that against the European champions, let's not forget. I'm going to look at more positives. Um, Diogo Jota, for example, you know, going back to the branch and the catalyst and being that link uh, for the energies of uh, the entire universe. Jota it had an immediate impact. He won the penalty and uh, he looks, you know, dynamic, doesn't he, Brian? I, I love Diogo. Yeah, no, he's 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 brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And um yeah, I mean, he was the player that you felt. Um, well, when the game started, that we were, you know, I was thinking this is perfect because Bobby, you you want to play Bobby in these games to be, and you you want Giotta coming in off the bench because Bobby is gonna basically press um, press the life out of Chelsea uh, for sixty minutes um, and run them ragged, um, and then Giotta comes on fresh and does his thing which is kind of what he you know i mean it's kind of going to plan um but um uh yeah he just looks sharp he looks sharp he looks like he fits into the system perfectly again i think out of the uh, him and him and mo at the moment they just look like they've got goals in them every single game um and uh yeah he's just he continues to be the perfect signing and long may it last. I mean, I think it's, I think it's obvious. Well, it's obvious to me anyway. He, he, he is going to take somebody's position in that team permanently. <laughs> Someone's going to get relegated to the bench who, who who's not used to being in the bench. And whether that's, whether that's Bobby or, or, or Mane, I, I'm not sure. I would probably suggest it's more close to probably Bobby, but, but who knows? But yeah, Another great performance. I can't remember the last time he's had a bad performance for us, to be honest with you. So, really happy with him. Yeah, an interesting stat I saw the other day was the, the fact that he, I think he's second on our list of Premier League uh, goals to minutes ratio. Um, I think it's since the Premier League began. I don't think you include Ian Rush, uh, that kind of thing. But... Uh, he, it's something like a go a goal every one point two matches, which is sensational. Um, and I was looking, you know, Wolves gave gave him to us 
uh, and they were thinking that Daniel Podence could take his place. He's He's got four goals since the beginning of last season and Jota has 11 despite being injured a lot and being on the bench a lot. So it's a goal every 1.2 matches for him. Great stuff. Um, another positive, yet another one, is something that it's taken us 37 minutes and 13 seconds of, of recording um, to even address. And before the match, there was a lot of hoo-ha, a lot of mumbo-jumbo written about Lukaku versus Virgil van Dijk. And it was basically, he made Romelu Lukaku look like a schoolboy, didn't he, Brian? Oh, yeah. Brilliant. Had him in his pocket. It was beautiful. Really beautiful. I mean, Virgil van Dijk, what a guy. I mean, the guy just looks like a marble statue <laughs> all of the time. He just, he's so, I mean, commanding is a word that gets thrown around willy-nilly these days. There's very few players that are really truly commanding. Uh, Virgil van Dijk is magnificent. He really is. And his aura, he has, he has that special aura about him. That he's like, this is I'm my ball. No, I don't care who you are. This is my area. I command this area. You're coming into my territory, not not the other way around. And the difference between Lukaku playing against Arsenal and the difference playing against us, it was just like night and day. Arsenal are just an absolute rubbish team right now, and they just gave him all acres of space and let him turn defenders his supply was great he got nothing it just literally turned the tap off and anytime he did get the ball or the ball came anywhere near him Virg just stepped in and just shrugged him off like he wasn't even there which is easier said than done because the guy is an absolute unit I mean look at the size of him he's massive um but yeah no we totally dealt with him um completely and then he didn't get a sniff in the first half so if they were down to 11 very stayed to 11 men in the second half that would have just suited us a lot more actually i think and he would have continued not to get a sniff and 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 would have been you know quite frustrated the end like nobody's talking about that now because everybody's giving you know laurels to to chelsea because oh you know chelsea 10 man chelsea managed to hold on for a point what what do you do um but uh no yeah it was I mean, I, look, I like him as a player. He's a good player. I think he was te- he was actually pants at uh, United, obviously. But I mean, I followed his career from an from an early age, and he's he's got a lot about him. Um, and when Chelsea signed him, I, I I have to be honest, yeah, I was I wasn't happy. I thought that's not good. <laughs> that will help them. Um, but yeah, look. I think there's not a there's not a striker in the world of football right now that can handle Virgil Van Dijk when he's in the mood. Yeah, absolutely. But there's even an argument to say that Joel Matip next to him was even better yesterday. Joel Matip had 85 passes and had, uh, according to whoscored.com, 92.9% passing accuracy. Virgil van Dijk had 79 passes, six fewer, and 91.1% passing accuracy. Of the long passes that Virgil's been doing so well in the first two games, he, you know, he, he tried 11 uh, the first match and 9 the second match. And he's going down in twos because he only tried seven long balls. Three of them were accurate uh, compared to Joel Matip, who tried six long balls and five of them were accurate. 
Um, there were two moments in the second half when Lukaku just sort of gave up uh, even trying with Virgil and moved over to Joel Matip's left, uh, you know, uh, Joel Matip's side, our right-hand side. And he, uh, there were two moments where he was, he was running at goal. Um, the first one was very clever. I thought we did that a few times. We sort of let Lukaku run with the ball rather than, you know, go towards him and make a tackle. And lo and behold, he sort of tripped over the ball. He did that twice, actually, in the match. Um, but excellent from Joel Matip. He was sort of one-on-one -on -one and he just ran backwards towards his goal, kept his eye on the ball, made sure he couldn't go inside, made sure he, he couldn't skin him in any way and run past it, knock it past him and, and sprint past him. It was genius defending. It looked so simple, but it was really, really clever. Exactly the right thing to do. And then the other moment was when, um, I can't remember who it was, played a really nice pass to to Lukaku and he was again one-on-one -on -one. and Joel Matip this time because there was a little bit of a miscontrol again from Lukaku and when it happened Joel stepped in and brushed him off uh, like you would brush off a tiny bit of fluff from your shirt. It was beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So I think we're way better than Chelsea. This is the bottom line. Um, and that's what I'm taking from this. I think Trent's way better than anything they've got. Matip's way better. Van Dijk's way better. Robbo, he didn't have that poor a game. Four key passes, eight crosses. Only two of them are accurate. But, uh, you know, he was, he was off it, but he's still way better than anything they've got. Fabinho. Okay, you could say Kante, Fabinho. Maybe there's, there are similarities there of how they're both unbelievably brilliant. Jorginho, in his way, is brilliant as well. But Fabinho would get into that Chelsea midfield, no problem. Um, Harvey Elliott, young genius. They've got Mason Mount, again, equivalent, but we're just as good. Henderson, there is only one Jordan Henderson. Mohamed Salah, there's only one of him too. And Sadio Mane, Roberto Firmino, Diogo Jota. Look at our team. We've got Alisson in goal. Look at our team. Think about our team. There is an extraordinary amount of positivity to bring forward from that. Uh, Brian, just before we go, I want to move on to our next fixtures. We've got Leeds United after the pesky international break. Leeds United away on Sunday, September the 12th. Then AC Milan at home. And then Crystal Palace at home in the league. That's the week starting Sunday, September the 12th, uh, continuing on September the 15th and ending on September the 18th. And, you know, this international break, as I've said before, is going to drag like a zombie's foot. Um, what do you think after the break, Brian? We're going to, we're going to, we're going to come back, uh, come back fighting and with those three exciting matches. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant, They're great games to look forward to, and and uh, there'll be three like three games we'll be looking to beat, win all three. Um, uh, I think Leeds are playing tonight um, or today, your time um, away to Burnley, so it'll be interesting to see how that game pans out. I think Leeds are down as favourites to win that game, but you know Burnley is never an easy place to go and uh, pick up points. Um, Milan, they, you know, they're not the, the, the team they used to be. They're just a shadow of that. And and uh, Crystal Palace don't look like they're pulling up. Any, they look like a, a lot weaker team uh, than in previous uh, seasons. I watched them play uh, West Ham and 
it was kind of so-so. So, yeah, I think uh, looking forward to those games, just kind of be doing the usual kind of international break, you know, God, let's hope <laughs> the lads come back in one place, in one piece, because we, you know, for the longest time, Liverpool have been very unlucky when it comes to international uh, breaks. I, I don't know what the what's the latest on the African players or how many players in their squad are not actually going because I, I kind of picked up on a little bit of um, some players won't be allowed to go because the, the, their countries are on the red list. Do you, do you know what the latest on that is? Yes, the Brazilian players are definitely staying with us and I'm not sure about the African players. I don't know exactly what's going on, but you're right that there are, you know, some of them who just can't... Um, can't go away and I wish you know for other reasons of course you know for for nicer reasons but I wish it was the same every single international break where everyone just doesn't bother to go stay at home go to Alton Towers you know with your family go go and enjoy yourself I don't know um anyway um one last question Brian is about the Champions League of course we've got AC Milan we haven't really talked about our you know how we think about the the group that we got. So Porto, AC Milan, and who was the other one? Uh, pardon? No, Atletico Madrid. Oh yes, Diego Simeone's. Oh man, the monsters! I, I'm disappointed with that draw, not because I'm scared we're going to lose. I'm, I think we'll go through. Um, and I'm very happy with the draw of, of be, very, very happy to play Milan, who have never played at Anfield, ever. Um, we've only played them twice, and that's only in Champions League finals. We've uh, both won one each. So it would be amazing to, to host them at Anfield and then go away to the San Siro in the la- before it gets completely, uh, I don't know, knocked down and rebuilt or whatever they're doing. So I'm really happy to play Milan. I'm really happy to p- play Porto. I think Porto's a fabulous city. Um, I don't know. I think it's a great place to go. Uh, of course, it's been a happy hunting ground, as they say. But Atletico Madrid, it's not. I don't fear them in terms of, OK, they might beat us, maybe, if they get lucky again. But it's just the, the, the turgid predictability of it all is not what I want from the Champions League. Because it's just, you know, before... A ball is kicked exactly what's going to happen. You know, it's actually going to be like the second half against Chelsea with Liverpool knocking on the door, knocking on the door. We will either score or we won't. And if we won't, they could hit us on the break. Okay, we could lose. But it's just like, oh man, sitting through basically 180 minutes home and away of that, of just defence versus attack. I think it should be illegal, Brian. We should ban anti-football. Yes. Yeah, I concur. But hey, another way to uh, to to look at that, maybe it's time we knock them out of the Champions League first round, like group stage. Wouldn't how beautiful would that be? Milan and Liverpool go through. Um, would that be great? Yeah, let's beat them home and away. Send them packing just for playing anti football. We owe them one. We absolutely owe them that's, one. You know, that's the way I'm looking at it. That's a beautiful thought. I think it's absolutely brilliant. It hadn't occurred to me. Excellent. Let's send them packing. And um, what do you think of our chances of winning the the Champions League? In you know, obviously, it's, lots of things can happen between now and May. But uh, you know, from the from the outset, are you feeling uh, feeling confident? Yeah, I'm feeling good. I mean, that's not the 
group I would wanted to have, to be honest. It's a tough group. Um, so, I mean, we get through that group and that will stand us in very good stead for the rest of the tournament. Um, still think we're one signing short um, um, for uh, where what we need and where we need to be. So I'm, I'm kind of, I'm hoping another Diego Jota comes uh, through the door last minute.com that we haven't seen coming. Um, but if, if not, then, uh, you know, I'm quite content with what we've got. Um, yeah, I, I, I think we, we, we will be there, thereabouts um, this campaign. I'm looking forward to because, you know, it's fans back in the biggest stadiums in the world. It's just beautiful. I'm just going to lap it all up. Football heaven. It really is so much to look forward to. And uh, just a final thought on it. I mean, you know, a good thing about our group um if you don't fear anyone competitively, like like I don't, and I don't see why anyone would really, um, is we don't have much travelling to do, okay? Just had a very quick look. For example, we don't have to go all the way to Russia. Uh, we don't have to go to, go to St. Petersburg. Uh, Chelsea do, because Zenit are in their group. And so on December the 4th, they've got West Ham away in a London derby. Then they've got to fly out to Zenit. And then... Three days later, they come back for a home match against Leeds United. And then basically the busy Christmas period gets underway. And so it's, it's um, I think, you know, it could be really good that we, we just miss the, those extra hours of travelling. Because I really think they make an effect, they have an effect. But anyway, Brian, we've been, we've been talking a lot and it's been absolutely beautiful. Because I, I, I've had so much to talk about, you know. Um, and I'm glad you're on, we're on the same wavelength in terms of taking all the positives. Uh, from yesterday that we can and there is certainly plenty of them and uh, thank you so much for for chewing the cud with me uh, on this beautiful uh, afternoon for me and evening for you